Hi everyone and welcome back to Faith Brunel's Insights. I'm your host Faith Brunel and today we have Kasim Khorasani with us today. So uh, before we get into the episode, I'm going to tell you a bit about Kasim, who he is and what he's currently doing now and how also I know him as well. Let's jump into it. So he is currently a PhD candidate in political theory at the at University College London um, in the political science department. He's also a graduate teaching assistant in political economy, sorry, in the political economy department at King's College London, which is how we know um, each other. So he was my seminar leader for last year. I've now finished my, um, my first year, I'm going to my second year. So moving on from that, he has a range of research interests, including deliberative de- democratic theory, open closed mindedness from philosophical and psychological perspectives and business ethics. Um, in terms of his educational and professional background, he completed his BA in social and political sciences um, and he completed in international relations at the University of Cambridge. He then went on to complete the GDL, such the LPC at BQP Law School, before practicing for three and a half years as a solicitor at Herbert Smith Freehills LLP, where he specialised in corporate energy and infrastructure and spent time on secondment to the civil service and a big fixed energy firm. So, Kasim, thank you for agreeing to be on the show today. It's wonderful to have you. Um, obviously, I've just, I've just read out your bio, but is there anything else that you'd like to add to introduce yourself to the listeners? Um, well, uh, first of all, I just want to say uh, thanks, Faith Brunel, for, for having me on. Um, no, I think I, th- I think that that probably sums up uh, sort of who I am and what my professional background. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, I spent lockdown, if I'm being honest, uh, a lot of sitting at my kitchen table. Yeah, so essentially work has continued as a PhD candidate and also doing my teaching. So I, uh, when I was teaching at King's, I was also teaching from my kitchen table uh, this year. Um, but uh, I guess other ways in which I spent it, um, as, a, as a very much a nerdy person, I'm not usually inclined towards exercise, but, you know, uh, needs must. So I spent, I think I did every video for four months, at least, of, of Joe Wicks. So I joined that Joe whole Wicks, yeah. thing. Um, and then when that stopped, I've been doing three days a week. I do yoga with Adrienne YouTube videos, um, okay. although I'm not a very flexible person. <laughs> and I, I try and do some other exercises on the other days. Um, more walking, um, uh, a lot more, a lot more walking, actually, um, which Agreed. again, I guess probably very basic, very standard. And yeah. um, finally, if I'm being honest, um, probably with uptake in video gaming uh, that that also increased mm. um, as a, also as a way to keep in touch with the friends like we'd all just get together on discord and mm. and play a few things together um so yeah i guess those are probably the things i did in lockdown i guess yeah it's not a very illustrious summary <laughs> what is it that people like about video games i mean there is actually philosophy and studies on video games but i'm not mm. familiar with that literature but from my from my limited perspective i think people people get different things out of it right so i also yeah. really enjoy reading in fact i uh, I can't remember what the name of the series, but I finished a fantasy series of books, okay. which started, which I started reading in autumn, and it was, I don't know if you've ever seen the really chunky, like, the, block ones, yeah. the really fat ones, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think that was 16 books, I think I, I managed nice. to breeze through from last autumn to, instead of, you know, doing my, doing my real work, so, um, so, but part of it, I think, so for some people, they really get into that sort of world-building aspect of video yeah. games, so some of them, they have, you know, really elaborate sort of, like, yeah, worlds, essentially, and I think for me, it's like two things really, and this is yeah. you know me personally. One is it's social. I I don't really tend to play single player games. I tend to prefer to play with other people. Okay. So yeah. similarly, I also I used to play chess when I was younger, and I love board games. So for me, right. board games. Yeah. I also play card games, board mm. games, card games, video games. 
obviously there are differences but for yeah. me i enjoy games i guess and i enjoy mm. playing with other people and so video games are just another i guess manifestation of, yeah, of that. yeah but like great. i said pe- people have all sorts of you know, some people are just very competitive which mm. actually i'm not so some people love that competition i think like in the way that you find video games sociable i think like part of me doing the podcast as well has really has my confidence like in terms of like meeting people as well also, there's also a social element because i think i've made friends from the podcast like some of my guests as well we're still like liaising now and talking about like our studies and how we're doing over lockdown like how we were doing over lockdown so it's a really good way but i completely um that sounds really really interesting maybe i'll give um video games a try one day i don't know but i don't think my parents will like be um they won't be they won't be excited at the idea of me getting a video game because (laughs) let's just say sometimes i procrastinate and then even me getting a tv i've got a tv now but i only got a tv because i was moving to london so that was a way to kind of like pass time so but hopefully after all my exams are over i can get one yeah, I think if I, if I may, I think board mm. games have much more like inherent limits built into them. So one of the, the downsides of modern video gaming um, yeah. is they try to build in a lot of like microtransactions, but also essentially anything which will hook you into playing yeah. more and more and more and more. So they'll give you incentives to log in every day and to play a few games. <laughs> yeah. And you know, that's one that, you know, the dangers essentially is that you get essentially hooked on these hooked things. On it, yeah. Whereas board games at least requires you to get together with friends and yeah. then you, you dedicate some time to playing and then you, you know, when I they're not there, games. you're not, yeah. yeah, you're not going to get obsessed with it. So it's true. Uh, you know, I, I think, I think board games. Um, I, I've never really thought about this before, but now just having this podcast <laughs> is teaching me. I, I guess I, I think board games, yeah, uh, are better in that respect. I mean, yeah. they are a bit more cumbersome because you need to get together, mm. but then that added friction means you're less likely just to slip into some sort of not yeah. that you would necessarily but some sort of obsession or um, and yeah i feel like that's the risk probably. that could happen um like i've seen like a lot of people who play video games like obsessively but then again you can always find that balance like if you can balance like your studies and your like and your free time and go for it then i wouldn't really stop someone from doing that but i think for me personally having all of this to do as well i don't know if i could do that but i'd love to do that <laughs> i'd love yeah, to try it I, I think for me i mean one crazy thing given Know, the lockdown life now actually for a year i think for the year almost previous so for the year previous to the lockdown so mm. i started in march 2020 before autumn 2019 i didn't actually have a personal computer really <laughs> so i yeah i had my phone and yeah. i always worked in the office so i never took work home i just oh, went yeah, to the yeah. office and did mm. my work there and so i didn't have any video games right i didn't even yeah. have any a personal laptop <laughs> um so although I, I played a lot of games when i was much younger mm. like um mm. i guess similar to your age in fact <laughs> um i sort of i sort of stopped doing it but then when yeah. i got a laptop in autumn 2019 mm. and then you know lockdown hit in 2020 that suddenly then i sort of so i sort of switched back into that Okay, so um, moving away from like the free time, let's talk about your BA. So in social and political sciences and kind of in the same breath, kind of really talking about the MPhil in international relations at the University of Cambridge. So um, what would you say was the highlight of these experiences? I tend to, and I speak to a, quite a number of people who are going to university and things. And I think there's broadly three things which you can get out of university. Yeah. Um, well, actually no, four probably um one is you never have as good a chance to really nerd out in whatever (laughs) subject you've chosen to do and for me you know i'm doing a phd now i am a massive nerd that was one of the biggest things like i i really loved like learning essentially i i I was i was very i even attended like extra lectures and things i would just go along and 
yeah. go and sit in random lectures and just learn stuff. So, you know, I am a, I'm a full-blooded nerd. I, I hesitate to sort of put too much emphasis on how everything's really lovely and rosy. This is just the highlights of my experience. Yeah. I, I speaking to some of my friends, both at the time and afterwards, I appreciate a lot of people really struggle at university with various different challenges, whether that's with the work itself or being, yeah. excuse me, being away from home yeah. or health mm-hmm. challenges. But for me, I was very fortunate and blessed essentially that I, you know, I, I essentially did have, like, I found it relatively easy. Again, the college system was quite conducive to making friends yeah, because um, it's already sort of like a small little community, which is easier, a bit more bite-sized, I guess. Yeah. It's easier to get to know everyone. Whereas I appreciate, Definitely. you know, there's, there's upsides to being, you know, in, the, in a city like London, you've got like <laughs> so much of the culture and yeah. it's huge. There's so much stuff there. Whereas Cambridge is much more of like a bubble, but yeah. on the plus side, the fact that it's a bit smaller and the colleges are even easy. Yeah, so made it easier yeah. to, whereas mm-hmm. I appreciate at a bigger university you've got your halls and then you've got your course and then you've got mm. your um, your social activities whereas mm-hmm. the college system in, mm-hmm. in Cambridge sort of provides an extra way and it's there's a lot of bonding which is really sort of not forced upon you but encouraged by that mechanism yeah. like yeah you know, I... so yeah I think those those three things oh, the fourth thing I would say in general mm-hmm. which I'm not sure I did particularly well um <laughs> I just highlight my experience is yeah. preparing for the job market, right? And I think yes. even more so now, that's a real emphasis. But I think those mm. four things is what I usually say to people about how what you need to sort of balance. And it's, yeah. it's easier said than done, right? Because yeah, definitely. <laughs> you're like, you know, if I if I go out with my friends, then maybe I'll be tired for lectures tomorrow. Or if yeah. I take up this sport, will I have time for this? Mm. And so it's easier said than done. But I think those are the four things which generally people have to balance. And I think for me, at least the first three particularly the friends who are still my, my great friends today and yeah, the, the nerd learning, though. which yeah. I'm still nerding, nerding out today. <laughs> my, for me, the, hi, the highlights. Mm. Um, sorry, that was quite long. No, maybe. that was really <laughs> good. I like how you broke it into four different um, points. So thanks for your insights. That's really great. Um, but like, yeah, the, so the question that I really want to ask is why did you decide to go to Cambridge? I mean, I can explain honestly why I did it. Yeah. I'm not sure that I would recommend this as an approach. So right. I think at the time, you know, I decided that I wanted to go study politics at university. Um, okay, and yeah. essentially, I I just looked at the top league tables <laughs> and then just looked at the universities which came up top on them well, and then apl- applied to them. Um, I, But I think there are lots of other reasons which people maybe should consider so I don't want to suggest to anyone that that's Mm. how they should go about it for example I was very bad in terms of I didn't actually go visit the campuses (laughs) of the places I applied to yeah Yeah. I I don't know um I mean on the one hand I think I'm the sort of person which you know again you know if I'm just nerding out I'm not so fussed about my environment whereas but I appreciate for other people again you know the environment that's around them can be very very important whether they they love sort of history or they want green spaces nearby or they hate like you know brutalist architecture or something <laughs> they think like concrete blocks will just depress yeah exactly them. Mm. and whether it's a campus university or a city university all these things yeah. like i think matter to a lot of people i think they, they are do, they yeah. are very important mm. um so i wouldn't want to say that my experience is necessarily even the way to go i was you know yeah. i was 17 and that's just kind of how i did it and obviously cambridge has a good reputation it so does, that, yeah. you know, that was that was part of it as well but mm. um yeah i essentially just did it by by league, league tables <laughs> um which like i said um and also because i didn't even Mm. yeah i had a brief look at the course content but i was just like you know politics i'm I'm a flexible kind of guy it'll be interesting (laughs) whereas again for some people you know if you've got a real you know um for example for example actually cambridge is a good example right cambridge politics is very focused on history of political thought specifically right um so if you if you want to study like more political science Mm. which is like to do with empirics and predictions and causality 
maybe um, you want to check the course exactly because maybe you don't yeah. want to be studying like uh, Marx and Rousseau. You want to be studying like, um, you know, does uh, poverty lead to more conflict or something? And I actually yeah. did some modules on mm. international relations on my undergraduate degree. But even the course content, I was sort of quite flexible with, which again, I think for prospective students, if that's something that matters to them, yeah. um, then they should, you know, investigate that as well. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, as I was saying, like, I share the same sentiment. I literally had a look at the league. I think I did, like, a, a multiple of things. So the first thing I did was I looked at the league tables and thought to myself, which are the best universities? So I applied to Oxford, I applied to, um, to UCL, I applied to LSE, King's, and then another university, I can't remember, um, University of Birmingham. So I kind of also wanted to have some that were far away and some that were, like, well, I chose one in Birmingham. But in hindsight, like, to all the listeners listening today, I would probably say don't just go for the highest ones go for the ones you actually want to go to because um you know actually it's actually kind of like thinking about what I did I wouldn't have done that again what I would have actually done was actually think about where do I actually want to go regardless of where it comes in the league tables my only caveat to that and I I think you mentioned before that you want to talk about sort of employability and employment uh, definitely yeah I am here at some point yeah, one thing I would mention and I it's been a long time since I worked at all in recruitment and I understand they're sort of shifting moves within sort of HR policies on these things but uh, the one caveat I would say to that is um, there is still again this might be changing so I don't want to suggest that this is like a cast on rule but there historically and maybe to some extent currently you know particularly in the UK system yeah. the prestige of the university you went to I think does have an impact yeah. on your career yeah. prospects mm-hmm. so I, yes. I would just put that one caveat in <laughs> yeah. before I just say like literally ignore any sort of <laughs> reputational ranking no, or no, whatever no. you like is yeah. that although I think some institutions are trying to change that I, I think I'd be remiss if I suggested that oh it just doesn't matter where you if you got a 2-1 it's a 2-1 I, I don't think that no. is that would hold true That's not or true, first no. is a first so that's my only caveat before that's, saying just yeah. you know, go, no. go and um, study wherever just moving on then just, we're still on the topic of Cambridge but now the question is why did you decide to stay at Cambridge and do your masters in international relations as opposed to going to another university again I think I've got some reasons I'm not sure they generalize but I'll be honest um, so two but the primary one was I think I I just hadn't had enough of it I, I loved Cambridge yeah. um, I still had things I wanted to do there a lot of my friends were staying there for fourth year I got funding so it wasn't so expensive right. I know masters can be very expensive it can be, I, yeah. didn't, I, I didn't shell out my masters at all mm. but that's not again I wouldn't necessarily be suggest or be prescriptive about that I mean one other aspect was that I was at the time also considering trying to get a job in international relations so right. um, I was applying to the Foreign and Commonwealth Office which I, I actually interned there for a couple of summers as an intern okay, at the FCO yeah. I mean Sounds we didn't good. discuss my, my internships I, I said I said there was four aspects of university right yeah. one of them one of them was setting yourself up for a career so I did do sort of internships in various places right. so about that helpful but um, so yeah, yeah so I I was also saying oh maybe I want to go into like foreign policy think tanks mm. or international relations like in the civil service yeah and so that was another reason I, I t- did the master's particularly in IR but um, sort of retrospectively I think particularly in the UK um, I don't think again you know this is just I, I don't have particular authority on this but my this is my yeah. take on it mm. is that unless your master's is really vocational I don't think it tends to add much to a job application. That's right. my that, that's my personal take. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I don't I don't have like any you know I'm not in um, job recruitment in general. But yeah, for example, a law firm at least for a solicitor, if you've got an LLM or not, 
I mean, it shows mm. that you're, you're, you've got added keenness, but I don't think it necessarily sets to like a real cut above the rest. I mean, right. this is again, I, I I don't want to like make make too many claims, but I, I can't back up. <laughs> this is just my intuition. That in yeah, the UK, mm. having a master's in a field unless it's like really specific vocational. So like, I don't know, if you want to be a civil engineer and you get like a master's in civil engineering, or, right. um, maybe if you have a very specialized area of law that you're, mm. you want to go into and you've got a master's in that specialized area of law, maybe right. that helps. Um, but I think my general rule would be, I, I'm somewhat skeptical of taking masters as a, as a particular as a means to boost your career, unless there's a very, right. very clear focus. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. Thank you for sharing um, those wonderful insights. Yeah, that's been really insightful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, so now moving on to like some law questions then. Do you have any tips for those um, wanting to either undertake the GDL or the LPC? I guess the first thing would be to the extent possible, and you know, this is a big ask, is mm. get a training contract. If, so I'm talking about the solicitor's route here. Right, so get a okay. training contract before you start, ideally. Right. And that's, you know, that's maybe that's easier said than done, right? People are like, mm. oh yeah, if I could get a training contract, then obviously I would. But <laughs> Um, I, I just say that because I don't think, and again, you know, it's just my personal take, you know, yeah. others may disagree. Um, I just don't tend to think of the GDL and the LPC as very transferable if you're right. not going to become a lawyer. Um, also, I, I appreciate going down, if you're going down the BPTC route and the barrister route, I'm not even yeah. sure you can get certainty that early, but certainly for, I know for solicitors training contracts, you can get mm. a training contract years before you're due to start right. so you do your law school in the interim. Um, so one is because I'm not sure that they're very transferable if you'd want to do them and then do something that's non-law related or like you know, right, being a yeah. or barrister or being a paralegal or something like that. Yeah. Um, and secondly, because I think, um, and I have friends who've done this who, who didn't have a training contract, did the GDLPC and then got yeah. a training contract during it. It was a lot of stress for them. Yeah, well, I guess one thing which comes prior to that, of course, is that you should only do these things if you want to be a lawyer, um, just for sort of interest or to sort of, again, like the master's thing, if you think it'll make you more employable, I think the opportunity cost is very high. These are very expensive courses. And I don't, yeah. think, that, I don't think that, they, I don't think they have very much general applicability. They're really there to get you into the profession. Um, yeah, that's great, actually. It's really insightful for me, actually, because I want to become a barrister. So obviously I'm doing politics, undergrad, I'm thinking of either doing the GDL or the master's in law. Um, the GDL, which is going to be a year, or the master's, which is two years, and then doing the bar practice training course and then doing a year of pupillage i think i think that's the route but i'll have to double yeah. check after this episode's recorded um but yes i just want to ask could you just kind of uh, define for the listeners what a training contract is just in case um some people don't know that as of yet oh sure 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 sorry i should have said that no so, that's fine but um, no worries oh one other thing i should have said which yeah, to this actually is mm. because i left law a number of years ago i i but i am aware that there are other routes into law which yeah. don't necessarily have to go through the um the route I took, which is like the the LPC um, mm. GDL route, I, I'm aware that there are sort of like I think they're I'm not sure if they're badges apprenticeship schemes, but they are essentially sort of more learn on the job type. There schemes. are degree apprenticeships. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. I would just also mention that for people who are considering undertaking the GDL LPC or BPC yeah. route to, or GDL LPC route to think mm. about all the different routes into law. Because this is this degree apprenticeship route, which I'm not speaking to, but aside from that, the way yeah. you become a qualified solicitor in England and Wales, at least, which is what I am, mm. is you um, spend two years uh, working at a law firm. So you're right. fully salaried, you're an employee, but you're not a lawyer um, as such. Right. Or I guess yeah. you, could say, you could say you're a lawyer, but you're, sorry, you're not a qualified solicitor. I should, as a lawyer, I should be right. You're not a qualified solicitor, you're yeah. a trainee solicitor. Right. And at the end of this two years, where the firm is paying you a full salary and you're mm. working full time, um, 
um, at the end of that two years, you'll receive a qualification, which essentially is you are well, as long as you you know pass the requisite. Um, yeah, yeah. You know you don't you don't you don't mess it up, and you and you learn mm. appropriately, then you will become a qualified solicitor. So that's how you become a solicitor in the UK. And as yeah. I understand it, in the in the barristers, um, you've got a similar thing where you do a pupillage. At yeah, the chambers. pupillage. Yeah. And then if you get taken on, then you become um, a fully fledged barrister. Otherwise, yeah. you continue as a, as a pupil. Maybe you have to do another six. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you, Kasim. That's been really insightful um, and really interesting to listen to. And hopefully listeners will find that really useful. Uh, as well as going to free events, getting swag and free stuff <laughs> is, uh, if you can, easier said than done, but get really good grades because your competition will have them. And, the, and law firms in particular use them as a screening. Yeah, uh, they do. Hopefully less reputation, but you know the grades they definitely mm. will <laughs> yeah i think your grades are really really important as well and that's why it's imperative that you really study hard now and reap the results and so thanks everyone for tuning in today um so in order to if you'd like to get in touch with kasim after the show you can reach him at k.kurathani at ucl.ac.uk um but yes thank you kasim for um coming on the show today it's been a pleasure to talk to you about your phd journey about your masters and about everything else that you've been doing thanks faith Brunel. it's been it's been a it's been a pleasure and a privilege and I, I hope something is of, of some use to your listeners so uh, thanks for having me on